Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz, Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company for the next hour or so. For the call, it's just gone at midday Australian Eastern Standard Time. Next hour or so is all about looking at 10 stocks that you suggested through the eyes of two of our experts, and we do it all in 60 minutes. It's very informative and a lot of fun as well. Rudy Philippek van Dyke from FN Arena joins us. Rudy, good to see you. Uh, and Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Howard, always great to have you on board with the call. Welcome. Uh, good, good to be with you, David and Rudy. Uh, let's get straight into it. We do your uh, 10 of your stocks that you've suggested, but I pick one that's uh, in the news for uh, review from our team of experts. And today, a stock that we haven't talked about here on the call, and it was really interesting, Beacon Lighting. You see them advertise on TV all the time. Uh, their shares uh, rose yesterday up 22%. That's because the lighting retailer says it expects full year net profit to grow, even given the impact of COVID-19. Beacon attributes this uplift to uh, in sales to, due to changes in consumer behaviour in the wake of the pandemic, as Aussies commenced DIY projects whilst being confined to homes. Mind you, DIY would includes a light and electrical gear. Maybe don't do it yourself, get an expert in. Uh, but Beacon Lighting saw sales growth rise by nearly 78% in the second half. And brokers out today, uh, Morgans and City, both raising its price target on the company by 13% to $1.40. So will this growth continue in a post-COVID world? Uh, Howard, pretty impressive from Beacon Lighting, who do have lots of stores, though, uh, bricks and mortar stores, but... It seems the online sales have really made up for what they lost in, in shutting down stores and a whole lot more. Yes, and in fact, it's one now of several uh, retailers that have sort of reported the same sort of thing, that online sales have been up hugely um, while stores are shut. And the moment they reopen stores, they've been swamped by people uh, coming in and wanting to buy. So I, I think a lot of the negativity we've been fed um, by economists doesn't look like it's turning out to be nearly like that for well-run businesses. Now, I'm sure the badly run businesses have been hurt. Uh, Beacon Lighting does pass our filters in Conscious Investor, but not with any great enthusiasm. It's got high return on equity, with which it gets a good tick for. Debt's reasonable, gets a sort of a small tick for that. But earnings per share have only grown up till now by marginally more than inflation over the six odd years it's been listed. And the one area of concern has been that net profit margin has been declining every year. So it'd be very interesting uh, uh, now with them suddenly having a big increase in sales and a big increase in profits. I presume that suggests they've arrested their decline in margin. 
And that's probably because a lot of their competitors were closed. And like happens in every recession, um, the strong get stronger and the weak either get weaker or disappear completely. Over to you, David. Yeah. Do you think uh, Beacon is worth looking at for investors or that lack of earnings per share growth uh, means maybe look elsewhere? Yeah, um, at the moment, uh, you know, it's, it's P ratios in the top quartile based on, on the most recent earnings that had previously been announced before this announcement. So I don't think our Team Invest members would be looking at it. And the fact that the earnings per share growth is slow, it wouldn't have a lot of enthusiasm right. from Team Invest members. But, but certainly it does pass our filters and there may well be some members who own it. But I wouldn't think okay. uh, a large number of our members. Rudy, what do you reckon of Beacon Lighting and um, uh, your traditional compatriot often on the call, um, uh, Claude Walker from yeah. uh, A Rich Life, has been banging on about Temple and Webster for so long, and I notice it uh, announced a similar thing today, massive increase in sales. Yes. Uh, okay, there's, there's, there's two angles here. Um, one is, um, let, let's, let's start with the negative one. Yeah. This this company listed in 2014. Share price quickly went to two dollars. Even after today's rally, it's one dollar. Yeah. Um, so it basically managed to lose half of its value in, in five years. Not a great look. Right? Yeah. Uh, instead of focusing on the, the 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 profit growth, I often look at the dividends and 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 this company pays dividends. Yeah. Um, again, there's that picture that they find it very difficult to to increase those dividends. And, and, not, and this year they will they will cut their dividends, so that's the that's the that's the negative part where you go like well it doesn't really really look attractive. Now yeah. every, every dog gets its moment under the sun. Um, you just mentioned uh, City and, and Morgan's in particular City um, before yesterday's update had declared that this was their favorite retailer in Australia, and they keep that tag attached to it. So. It may well be that, that these guys will have a fantastic period at this point in time. Yeah. Uh, and, and as a new investor, that may well mean that you have a, I mean, a, a profitable six months, 12 months ahead of you. Now, for my investing style, that's not enough. I mean, I, I look at that long-term trend and I go like, yeah, right, right? The famous quote from Warren Buffett, the problem with most turnaround stories is they never really actually turn around. <laughs> right? uh, again, I mean, I, I never buy stocks when it's only six months, right? No. I, but it's, I think the big question mark here is, apart from all that what I just said, the big question mark is those retailers, they, they, they tend to have had a, a good period now because we all went locked down and we all bought stuff. Right? Yeah. The, the advantage of Beacon was they actually stayed open because while we think about the shops that we, that we visit as a, as a consumer, these guys also do tradies. These guys do building companies. Right. Everything that, need, that needs lights. Yeah? Right. I mean, so Bunnings was open and these guys exactly, were open. Exactly. Right. So you can see why that pent-up demand all of a sudden translates into a lot. Yeah. But the big question mark will be, what comes next? Is this momentum going to stay? Yeah. The, for all the retailers, I think the, the big challenge is still post-September when the government is going to basically withdraw yeah. some of its support for, for, the, for the housing market and for... Well, not for the housing market, for the labour market. Yeah. So there's big question marks for me, which remain unanswered. And then that share price can move quite quickly the other way if it turns out. That right. That. So okay. for me, the risk is too high. The yeah. track record is not very good. Yeah. And so, I mean, but, 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 but again, if City is right, 
then this, this could be an excellent buy for the next six months. Okay, for, uh, but more for people who, who trade, get in and out, and just a quick gain and get out. Okay. Don't stay on for too long. All right. Okay, let's get in. That's uh, Beacon Lighting. Uh, let's get into the first stock that uh, you suggested we look at, and thanks to Matthew for sending this in. Uh, Howard, Bubs Australia, the uh, baby formula, baby food uh, group, um, often dubbed uh, a baby A2 milk. I'm not sure that's quite right, but it's a, it's a nice story and something to bask in the sunshine. Uh, what do you think of, of Bubs? Yeah, well, I think when anything is spoken about is with the word story in it, it usually means they don't make any money as profits and hence the shareholders aren't going to do very well. And that's the case here with Bubs. Um, they've never made a profit. Um, in fact, they lose quite a lot of money uh, as a percentage of their sales. So unless they can find some way of charging significantly more for their products than they charge, such that they can actually make a profit out of the revenue that they generate from their sales, um, it really is not anything, you can't even really call it a business. Um, you can call it uh, uh, an operation, but, but a business by definition ought to make money. And this business doesn't make a profit. So it may produce wonderful products and the, uh, the parents and, and babies who use the products may think the product is wonderful, but um, they have, the, the management hasn't shown that they're able to run a business profitably and successfully and as such, uh, it's, it's the kind of company our team invest members would look at it and say, uh, losing money every every year, uh, why even bother looking any further? Uh, let's move on to something else. After all, you only want 20 to 25 companies, probably maybe 30 in your portfolio. Why pick something that never makes a profit? Mm. Uh, Rudy? See, I, I suspect that management at Bob's has listened way too much to people at the Team Invest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a young company. That's why it hasn't made any profit. I mean, it yeah. basically, basically has to build it. But what has happened, and that's, I think that's, that's quite disconcerting. It started off as a niche player in goat's milk. Yeah. And now it does bovine milk as well. So, obviously, it, it must have felt the pressure you have to be profitable, and now it basically dilutes its niche and goes mainstream, which may or may not, because it has, it has agreed, it has uh, signed a uh, supply agreement with Coles and, and Woolworths. So maybe it becomes profitable next year, but then the problem is it has given up its niche, yeah. and now it becomes a mainstream player. And mainstream in infant formula, I'm not so sure about that one. I mean, it. it I mean, long, long story short, it may well be that if, 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 it, if it starts selling product in, in Golds and Woolworths and, and it might may become profitable next year, then right. that share price probably goes up. But again, I then don't see where, where, the, where the future lies as a mainstream player yeah. uh, for them. I know they're in China and stuff like that, but that has dangers as well. For me, too much risk, too small as a company, plus it's now basically given up its, its niche. Yeah. Um, that's for me, that's too much. For, right. For, are, are they set up like A2 and just a marketing or not just, no. but mainly a marketing organization? They don't own any cows or goats? I think so, yes. Right. Because okay. They, they wouldn't have been buying a few cows to, yeah. uh, to, yeah, to yeah. get the milk from. Yes. Right. But, but again, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very small company. Right? Yeah. Howard? 
I think they own a processing plant. I think they bought one at some stage, if, if I'm remembering correctly, but it's not a company I follow. And, and Rudy's right to say, you know, that Team Invest make these comments. We do. And the reason is a very simple one. We don't like companies where the board and management get paid and the shareholders never get paid as well. Um, right. You know, as an owner in a company, you'd like to know that the management are working for the owners, not the management working for the management. And when a company is always going to make a profit but never does, management still gets paid, but the owners don't. And that doesn't meet our requirements in Team Invest. Yep. Okay. All right. So a no for Bubs uh, from both uh, Rudy and Howard. Our second stock, um, how, how do you pronounce it? Clunavell? Clunavell, I think. Clunavell, yeah. yeah, which is uh, a pharmaceutical, biopharmaceutical company focusing on treatments for patients with uh, skin disorders, isn't it? Um, very much a focus yes. of it. And, yes, and, and it went up, to... well, it was up 8% yesterday in the share price. Well, uh, uh, quite coincidentally, yesterday evening, um, Mark Morland from Team Invested arranged a, uh, a presentation from Clinuville to our Team Invest members by uh, Zoom. So in actual fact, I was listening to that last night when the email came in um, uh, with a list of companies that uh, we were covering today. So I thought, wow, that's a, a marvellous coincidence. Because <laughs> I, I knew very little about this business yesterday morning. I now know a lot more about it. So there are two conditions that uh, they're looking at. One that they're already making money from, and that's uh, called EPP. I won't try and uh, explain the or pronounce the skin condition, um, but it's a skin condition that means that the sufferers, and they're a very small number of sufferers, it's genetic, the condition, um, around about three to 4,000 sufferers in each of Europe and the United States. And um, it means they can't be out in any natural light and it, it makes their, their lives absolutely intolerable. Um, this doesn't cure the condition, but it treats the condition. So they've got a product that's now licensed for use in the United States and Europe for adults. And um, they, the patient gets a treatment ideally about every 60 days. They've got slightly less uh, treatments allowed in Europe per year than, than would be ideal, but the US is about right. And um, they uh, are also now looking at getting approval for using it in adolescence, which would expand their market. Plus they opening up, uh, attempting to open up, getting uh, permission in uh, Asia, in Australia, and in other countries around the world, which will grow their business. Um, and then there's another condition called vitiligo, I think it's pronounced. Uh, medical members may uh, object to my pronunciation, uh, people watching. But um, that's one that they're currently conducting trials that has much bigger usage. So if those trials prove successful, that will expand their market. But um, what I was so impressed with from a Team Invest perspective is their laser-like focus on, yes, we are developing medical products, we're a biotech, but we have to, in the end, make profits. We have to keep our costs low. We have to make sure that we deliver uh, actual profitable results so that we can be self-funding from now on and not have to go to uh, shareholders for money. And we don't, and we totally averse to debt. Uh, Philip Bolgan, the CEO who's based in London, who phoned in, um, used the term we're debt averse probably three times uh, during the discussion we had with them. So um, overall, um, I would say 
early stage, it's only made, only made a profit three years in a row, but they seem to be doing all the right things. And like so many biotechs, it took them from about 2001 to 2016. So about 16 years uh, of losses before they finally made a profit. And that's the danger of investing in biotechs before they're profitable. Most of them never ever make a profit. And the ones that do, it's usually a decade and a half or more from the time they first invent the, uh, the, the product or treatment. So um, it's looking quite good uh, for the future. And um, in terms of giving it a tick or a cross, after the discussion last night, I'd give it a tick, but I am a little bit weary about it because its history is still quite short, but um, it's doing all the right things. Mm. Okay, uh, Rudy. Yeah, no, the risk, the risk profile is uh, for me is too high. Right. Uh, maybe an interesting stat to throw us in: when when biotechs get a product into trials, only six percent ends up as a product that we actually can can buy. And commercialize. That, that, wow. that means for every one hundred products, there's no, there's ninety four that fail. Yeah. Right? Um, they, they, they are lucky, they, they are in that six, they have one product yeah. now. So now the challenge, and, and, and if you go back through history, you, you will find that that's not an easy road for many biotechs. Now the challenge becomes that you, you migrate from being a, a company that is, that is basically uh, <coughs> centers around research and development and developing that product. Now they have to develop a business, yep. and that's completely different skills. Um, so. If, if, if you're willing to take on, that bo on board that risk, uh, you can always put a little bit of money in there and see whether they succeed, because it's early stage. Right. If they do succeed, the share price will go a lot higher, but it'll be bumps along the road and everything. Right. This is actually a new category of, of, of biotech. They focus on diseases that only have very few patients in, around the globe. I, th I believe that um, a treatment for the product costs around $55,000 wow. US, I believe. Um, so there are, I mean, who can afford this? I mean, it's yeah. probably going to be in, in health insurance. The government probably have to subsidise it. Yeah. Things like that. Unless it gets on the PBS or otherwise, exactly, um, exactly. Yeah. Or you have to be really, really rich. Yeah. Right? Um, so there's more elements to it, and obviously they will have to. They have to build a business, mm. which means they have to go global and they have to I mean, open offices and all that. So yeah. often the costs are the problem. Okay, uh, our third stop, Rudy Stockland. Um, Stockland's a bit of everything, is it? Has uh, has shopping centres, but has retirement villages, residential yeah. complexes, yeah. the if, whole lot. Is, I, is that good? If I, that if, yeah, if I remember correctly, I think they also <laughs> moved into a childcare centres as well. I think. Right. Um, yeah. I uh, know it's it's basically it's a little bit of everything, which yeah. which from a positive side means it's called diversified. Yeah. From a negative side, there's always a problem somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's sort of what you see in that in that share price as well. I mean, it's a bit, a little bit of a little bit of nothing share price over the longer run. I mean, what mm. you can see there. I mean, before the fall, it basically moved sideways. Yeah, it's it's regarded a well, it's seen as a relatively um, reliable dividend payer. But if you look at its history, it's actually not. It does cut its dividend quite regularly, then raises it again, then cuts it again. Yep. So for me, it's a bit a little bit of of nothing stock, basically. Uh, you just have to realize as an investor that it's, it's obviously property. It's very much leveraged to property. Um, there's still a lot of question marks about the unemployment rate post-September, um, how the property markets will behave uh, when there's no immigration coming in in Australia, for example. So for me, the, the question marks are, are there, and yeah. I, would, I would just wait on the sidelines, personally. Okay. 
And uh, I think that's that's what the share price is saying as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, even you look at the five-year yes, exactly. one, it's exactly. been going sideways. Um, Howard, how do you view Stockland? Yeah, pretty much the same. In fact, you can even look at a 10-year view and you see pretty much the same. And and it's, it's easy to understand why. Their earnings per share 10 years ago um, were at 28.8 cents. Their earnings for the last 12 months ending December were 28.3 cents. So yeah. pretty much flat, actually very fractionally down, but pretty much flat over 10 years when we've had 2 to 3% inflation per year for 10 years. So uh, really, if you own this company, the chances are you've been going backwards if you take uh, inflation into account. And the best you can hope for is whatever they make in earnings, you'd be paid out as a dividend. But seeing as their return on equity averages over the 10 years about 6.5% or so, I may be out by a tiny weedy bit, but it looks like looking across at about 65 um, about 6.5%, um, that's the maximum return you can possibly be getting from this. So, um, as Rudy says, a bit of a nothing stock and uh, lots of question marks going forward, as Rudy pointed out, in, in property. Um, definitely not one that I could be the slightest bit enthusiastic about. Okay. Um, okay. Are you more are you more enthusiastic uh, about our full stock sent in from Stephen? Amelia sent in the uh, Stockland suggestion. Uh, Babcorp, which is uh, an automotive parts uh, basic distributor, is a automotive equipment uh, to trade and retail and and specialises in and that, that's basically what it does: provide auto parts. Sales are returning there. Now, if we look at it, we've got about six years worth of history. It's been growing its earnings for the six years, which is good. Um, the uh, return on equity is acceptable in that it's about 13%. So it's not hugely high, but it's okay. Debt's not bad. Um, the only thing that doesn't look all that great is sales are growing much slower than earnings. In other words, their margins are increasing. Now, you can only increase your margins for a period of time. You then reach the point where you really can't increase your margins anymore. Otherwise, they'd become infinite. Um, so that's not great. But it's on a relatively undemanding PE ratio at the moment of about 17 and a half or so. So um, it, 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 it passes our filters, undemanding PE, hasn't had a very long history, which does add a little bit to risk. Obviously, the one negative in the future is if we do move more towards electric cars, which the world seems to be doing, they require far fewer parts than um, uh, the uh, internal combustion engine vehicles. So that may not be a good thing for them going forward. But overall, it looks reasonably good. And as I say, on an undermining PE ratio. Hmm. Okay. Rudy? I'm a shareholder. Right? Oh, Every, right. Everything I say is biased. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's been one of the stocks I've, I've, I've regularly put forward when, right. when people ask me. I, yeah. I personally regard this as one of the most resilient uh, business models of the share market. I mean, the only thing that works against it a little bit is um, it's, 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 it's quite limited in size. It's a mid-cap stock. Right. It's not a large-cap stock. But it's, it's I mean, for people to give an idea, 80% is trade, 20% is retail. It's people like us, right? yeah. Yeah. Um, which and, and they're the largest. They're the number one player here in New Zealand. Right. Uh, so you said 80% trade, 20% yes. retail. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so that's pretty good. 
made, it makes it very resilient, yeah. very resilient. Because even the retail side falls away, like with, 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 with the lockdowns, for example, the other part is still working. You know? yeah. and, and, and the, way, the reason why it works is when, when, when you bring your car in and you need something new, new brakes or whatever, I mean, they just order it. It's not like they put out a tender and go like, who, who gets the cheapest parts? You know? yeah. They often have a relationship with those guys. They get, they get it in. There's a price setting. It's very resilient. Right. I agree on the, on, the, on the issue with electrical cars. We have to see how, that, how that's going to pan out. I don't think it's, it's an item that's this year, next year, the year after is going to feature. And these guys are at the moment moving into Asia now. And obviously, they're, they're, uh, the initial signs there were that they're, they're doing very well, yeah. um, which I also assume is, is weighing on the margins because they're making new investments. But I mean, I, un, until proven wrong, I think this is still a very resilient business, right. uh, not always recognized as such by the share market. But see, mm -hmm. but that offers the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, when, yeah. it, when it sometimes sells off by six, seven, eight percent on a day, yeah. um, that's when actually when you should, should be buying new shares right. I mean, and not not not. Jump, jump in with. So with still, all the still like it at, at these prices. I, I, too? I think even even after the storm recovery is already shown. I think there's still still plenty okay. of upside. Yes. All right. So two ticks for Batcorp. There you go. Uh, thanks for sending that in, Stephen. Our fifth stock, Integral Diagnostics. Uh, Rudy, there in the the X-ray, ultrasound, CT, MRI yes. market, aren't they? Yes. Um, instinctively, I would say you go for size in that, comp in, in that sector. So if you want to go in that sector, you go for Sonic, right? right. But having said so, I've, 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 always had, I've always had mixed feelings about Sonic Healthcare. And the reason why that is, it's, it's always portrayed as a, and obviously the same, the same thing happens for, for integral diagnostics. It's always portrayed as this is a very resilient, solid business, but yeah. they don't seem to grow. And, and, and the only reason why they grow is they basically buy other businesses. I mean, the Sonic Healthcare right. business is, is basically, it's, it's an acquisition business. Right. I mean, they're buying, uh, nowadays they're buying in Europe. Yeah. Um, guess what Integral Diagnostics is doing? They're buying other companies. Right. I mean, they just bought one in New Zealand. Um, yes, that is going to add to the growth. So it's probably the similar story as we had with, with Beacon Lighting earlier. This probably looks good on a 6 to 12 to 18 months basis because they now bought another business. It's going to add to the growth, etc., etc. But they will have to continue buying businesses, basically, right. because so small they, size. they roll up all the small yes. sort of yes. diagnostics, yes. sort of the equivalent of pathology. Yes, exactly, right. exactly. Yeah. Because I mean, if you look at the likes of Sonic Healthcare and, and a couple of the other healthcare companies, on their own, it doesn't seem to be that there's a lot of growth in those businesses. So they constantly have to buy other businesses, right. basically. I'm not a big fan of 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 of, of when that is the the, the growth strategy. Um, so for me, it's I mean, unless I mean, you want to you want to keep it for the next six months and see what what, yeah. what happens More with the acquisition, which probably right. is good. Yeah. But for me, there's not enough horizon there, not enough certainty. Too small as well. Yeah. And uh, and also the uh, the track record is in share price performance is not fantastic so far. Right. Okay. Uh, Howard. Yeah. Um, interestingly, I mean, uh, it seems as if. Uh, viewers picked companies that I'd recently spoken to people in the company because this is another one where I've actually spoken to the chief executive in the last uh, day or two. Um, but uh, looking at its numbers, it's got high return on equity. Return on equity has been about 18 to 19% for the last three years. Its debt level is a little bit high, mainly because of the acquisitions that it's been making. Um, earnings per share growing quite nicely. 
Um, they're not all that similar to uh, Sonic because Sonic is mainly pathology. Um, integral diagnostics is entirely radiology with a big move into MRI. Now, one of the interesting things with MRI is as far as the AECD goes, we do a lot less MRI scans uh, here than is done in almost everywhere else in, in the OECD. And that's the direction it's all moving. And MRI scans have phenomenal potential from a health point of view where you used to have to operate on somebody sometimes to see the extent of a cancer. Um, full detail on it can now be done by an MRI. And, and this is the area of growth that they're really uh, going into. Um, the other thing you want to look at with a company like this that has a relatively short history is the quality of the board of board and management. And one of the things I really like about this company is there are three executive directors with health experience, uh, doctors in other words, uh, radiologists actually, and, um, and then four other directors with really good business experience. So it combines industry knowledge and product knowledge and what we do knowledge with running a business knowledge, um, which I find very appealing. Uh, the other thing you want to know is, are they going to be good stewards of their money? And seeing as I happen to know the CEO, I know he would, uh, Ian Kadish, that he would be a very, very good steward of shareholders' money. So uh, it doesn't pass our filters at the moment. Its history is too short. So Team Invest members wouldn't be owning this. But I personally think that uh, in another year or two, we'll, we'll start having Team Invest members quite enthusiastic about this because I expect they'll do very well. Um, the, um, there was uh, one other thing why they've been perhaps a little bit in the news is they've just been admitted to the ASX 300, uh, which has uh, caused them to be a bit in the news. OK. All right. Um, so, so yes from Howard, not so much uh, team yeah. best for integral diagnostics. Um, if it. we recap the first five stocks and including our stock of the day, Beacon, uh, a no from both the guys. Uh, Bubs a no, uh, Clinaville, um, a yes from Howard, a no from Rudy, no from Stockland, from both Babcorp, uh, both guys like, and uh, as we said there, integral diagnostics, probably not a team invest investment at this stage, but Howard likes it, uh, Rudy a no. Um, Howard, let's kick off the, uh, the second five stocks. First one uh, sent in by John Monodelphus, sort of in that engineering service sector for the for the mining industry seen as being one of the um, uh, better companies in that sector yeah very definitely I mean the two picks that you would always look for in mining services in recent times would probably be mineral resources and monodelphus mineral resources being more opportunistic um, monodelphus being the business that tends to sign up longer contracts like maintenance contracts now, the two parts to their business, one part's been growing nicely, and that's maintenance. There's more and more infrastructure in, in mining in Australia uh, every year, and particularly with a big oil and gas uh, boom that there was of building new infrastructure. So they're getting an increasing amount of work there. But engineering, procurement and construction, which is the more profitable part of the business, where margins are bigger, that's been squeezed for a number of years now. The miners, the big miners like Rio, BHP, etc., uh, have become far, far, far more cost conscious than they used to be. So margins are squeezed and the 
volume of additional EPC work has been shrinking. So Monodelphus's uh, earnings per share have in fact been dropping during this period. But if we now, as we're starting to see uh, iron ore prices at over $100 a tonne with our Australian dollar low, which means it's the equivalent of five years ago being $150 a tonne then, um, I would think there'll be reasonably soon um, some new engineering uh, EPC work, um, and that should boost Monodelphus. So um, it, when there's the next boom in mining services, they will do extraordinarily well. But um, that's certainly not yet right now. Um, uh, but the base of their business, which is the uh, maintenance work, will keep them going nicely. They, they never have much in the way of debt. They always have high return on equity, run their company very well. So I would say, uh, yes, but you want to buy it when the share price is down. And uh, mm -hmm. there's no mm -hmm. urgent rush because there's not about to be a big boom in mining services uh, next week yep. or next month. All right. So yes, I, yes on a pullback, not at these levels. Rudy, what do you reckon? Well, first of all, I think we need to acknowledge this is probably by a margin the, the, the best services provider we have yep. in, in Australia. Yep. Um, and that um, summarises, as far as I'm concerned, the positives and the negatives. I mean, right. It is a mining services provider. Um, I'm still old enough to remember when it was $29, it's now 9 Right. Um, this gives you an idea about I mean, how the cycles impact on the share price. I mean, I, I think I agree with, every, with pretty much everything that's, that Howard said. I think if you want to own this stock, it's, it's that story of, of the, the crisis will ultimately benefit the quality ones. Yeah. I think people should be careful in that sector in general. There's um, companies issuing profit warnings. History shows you that those peers, their competitors, it only needs one or two projects that go out of hand and actually can pull, pull back the company into administration or, yeah. or worse. Yeah. Um, that is likely to happen with some of them. We have already had some companies in trouble. Um, if, if you assume they all weaken themselves, some of them are going to fall by the wayside, that ultimately there's more work for, for, for Monodelphus. Now, that's a bit early in the cycle now, I think. So, I mean, unless you're patient and too volatile, too uncertain, yeah. Even with a high iron ore price, I, I'm not so sure whether there's a lot of new projects coming on board in Australia. Um, so for me, it's a no. Right. So it's still going to just be on the maintenance rather than construction. Howard's saying just really cyclical going forward. Even though, I must say, it is $9. It looks really, really cheap. But right. no, you know what? It can always get cheaper. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, Rudy, our seventh stock uh, sent in from Leonard. Uh, Superloop. It's um, one of these companies that hangs off the NBN, doesn't it? Um, uh, it builds its own infrastructure, this one. Right. Yes. Okay. So it's, yes, yes, but it also builds, I mean, it actually, a telco. It actually connects uh, Asia with Australia and, and right. offers uh, both businesses and consumers uh, access. Right? Yep. Um, given, given the history, um, I'm not very enthusiastic. I mean, I know there's potential and they all have potential, lots of it. Um, but so far, they've had some problems, they had some budget overruns, they had delays. Um, you see that in the share price. Right? Yeah. The share price hasn't really performed in the same uh, manner as, as the other ones have. And again, I mean, some people get excited when then the share price is low enough and then banking on the turnaround. Yeah. Um, see, I'm the opposite. I'm thinking like, well, when you have a little bit of a, of a checkered history, 
then I think the risk is higher than than, than otherwise would be, even though with a short, with, the, with a smaller share price. Right. So I'm I'm much more in favor of, of sticking to the ones that work. I mean, yeah. in recent times, uh, Megaport is incredibly uh, popular. Yeah. Um, NextCC is still in the background. Uh, it's all in that same theme. It's all in right. the cloud infrastructure. Right, so uh, Superloops in data centers as well? And no, but, like they, but they provide basically the, 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 the pipe, the pipes and, yep. and, 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 and they give the access. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit in that Vocus territory right. uh, as well. And Vocus, by the way, has also not, not been proven a, an unblemished track record. Yeah. So for me, it's a no on that, on that yeah. premise because I mean, it's, there's a lot of question marks from the past. But it would appear that if they do get, if they do get it right at some point, then the upside, of course, is, is okay. enormous. All right. Howard, Superloop? Yeah, I, I like Rudy can't really get enthusiastic about it. It's never made a profit. Um, it's always on the brink of doing so. It's got undersea cables, which should in the end be valuable. But who knows? There could be satellite technology that makes uh, it possible to send all the information from one part of the world to another without undersea cables, which some other companies are working on. So, um, you know, uh, in theory, it's a utility type company having all this cabling, but um, I can't see it uh, in a hurry turning into being a good investment for shareholders. So a definite no for me. Right. OK. What about um, what about Blackmore's, Howard, the uh, the big vitamin and nutrition supplement group uh, um, under Marcus Blackmore sort of shot the lights out, had a big China story, uh, and sort of come back down to earth a bit. Yes, I mean, uh, when Christine Holgate was there, they got uh, some very good management and some luck enabled them to uh, have extraordinary growth in China, quite unbelievable growth in yeah. China. Now, the Chinese market is still a very good market for them, but the rest of Asia has now become the biggest China. Um, so they've really got uh, less risk than they had when China was so big because there's now three parts to their business of roughly equal size. Australia, New Zealand, rest of Asia and China uh, are all becoming approximately equal. Australia and New Zealand still a bit bigger than the other two, but not by much. And um, they're now looking to expand a little bit further in Asia, putting their toe in the water in India. Indonesia looks like it's going to be an enormous growth market for them over time. So they had a presentation to uh, the investors about oh, a week, 10 days ago, that um, it wasn't super uh, positive or enthusing, but it certainly sounded like the business was on the right strategy, um, starting to uh, clear up the problems they had with buying the factory. That was probably in the short term a mistake. We're not sure yet, long term, whether that will prove to be a mistake or not. They seem very confident that the factory in the end uh, in Melbourne will end up being a, a huge boon to them over time as they move more and more of their production there and the factory gets busier and busier. So overall, I, I'm a shareholder in it, by the way, and overall, um, I think I'm, I'm fairly confident but I don't think it's the, the probably the most positive thing to me is it's not so China dependent. And the biggest risk is the fact that uh, will they uh, turn the factory into being really profitable for them or will it always be a distraction? They seem to be confident about it. For me, the jury's still a little bit out. OK, uh, but it's uh, down at $78. We saw before it was over 200. Is it? 
Um, is a cheap buy to browser? Is it worth getting in at this price? Well, at the time it was over 200, was funnily enough at a board meeting, at, at an annual general meeting. Uh, they went into the annual general meeting with their price around about $120 and ended the annual general meeting two hours later with a price of $200, which uh, every time somebody in the room announced what the share price was, following it on their phones or iPads, Marcus Blackmore shook his head. And uh, he said afterwards to me, I just don't understand our share price. Here we had all our key staff sitting in an AGM, um, not doing any work, and somehow our company became worth a third more. That's totally absurd. It should have become slightly worth slightly less. And um, I totally agreed with him. So the 200 was la la land. Um, the, it got down to high 60s a little while ago. That was a bargain. It's probably sitting now about where it should be. Uh, right. I'm an, a happy shareholder, but I'm not jumping for joy and enthusiasm until I know for certain that the Catalan factory that they bought is okay. not going to be a drink. Uh, Rudy, what do you reckon of Black Mills? Once upon a time, this was actually considered a well-run business. Um, I think Howard will agree with me that uh, after Christina Holgate, they lost their way in, yep. in, in quite a negative way. So then they went from a well-run business to a not-so-well-run business, and that's the difference between $200 and $60. Right. Um, now it's become a turnaround story. I mean, uh, are they going to turn around? How quickly? How effectively? Yeah. See, um, I can't get excited, uh, I yeah. mean, even at the current price. Um, too many question marks for me. And again, I mean, I like to realize the Warren Buffett again, most turnaround stories, yeah, they don't turn really around. turn around, I mean, yeah. and not very quickly anyway. Yeah. So this might actually take quite a while, and um, then you have to then you have to, have to consider as a shareholder: is that worth? Is the is it worth waiting on, yeah. on the register? And and I suppose the opportunity cost, as how Howard mentioned earlier, too, you had twenty or twenty five stocks. Is it worth the wait when there are yes. are better opportunities now that you're going to yeah. get a better reward or less, or, 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 or less risk? Less risk. Right? Because risk works both ways. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So I know for Blackmores. Um, Rudy, what about Australian Foundation Investment? This is from uh, Hari. Um, when you talk about listed investment this companies, is, this, is the oldest, this was the first. Yeah, this wasn't is the oldest. Basically. The oldest we have in um, Australia, yeah. It's a bit bit historic. has, what, 80, 80 to 100 companies? I was, I was going through the... The largest. Yeah. Right. Their biggest... Um, Holding is in CSL, I think, at the moment. But well, it would be because CSL is the largest index constituent. So, right. from the, on that logic, so it's basically an index fund. It's turned into hasn't it, it? Well, it is actually. Yeah. I mean, so basically, if you want to invest in the Australian economy, then yeah. this is a should be a reflection of. I mean, it has all the banks, it has all the PHPs, the insurance right. companies. Yeah. It would have CSL because it's such a large component. Yeah. Um, I think they have a few problems, and they. Um, I mean, I don't always pay attention uh, to what, but I, but I do get their press releases and things like that. I think last year or the year before, if my memory serves me correctly, they announced that they were going to review their their investment strategy. Because yeah. I think ultimately what they ended up with is it too much of the old economy stocks yeah. and not enough of the new economy stocks. And I think that's what you see in the share price. I mean, um, if you have a quick look, I don't, I don't think the share price has moved for five years. Yeah which is astonishing because the index has. Yeah. I mean, and I think this is perfectly an illustration that stocks like uh, the insurers, the banks, they haven't moved. I mean, even the resources stocks haven't necessarily moved. Yeah. But, the, but the technology companies and the healthcare companies, they've moved a lot. 
And they've sort of missed out on that because they were basically all yeah, economy stocks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they do pay reasonably high dividends. Um, the other thing they have going for themselves is they, they actually cost very, very little. So the cost right. to own them is oh. very little. So, so the fees are... are very low, very okay. low. Uh, competitive with a with a ETF, I would say. Yeah. So that's oh, that's, that's all the stuff they've going for them. Yeah. But see, the disadvantage is all you've had so far is a dividend, I mean, yeah. plus franking. Um, so even if you had just an ETF that mimics the index, you would have done better. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, Howard, AFI. Yeah, I'm with Rudy. You know, their their earnings per share growth's been just under three percent a year over the past uh, half a dozen years. Um, that's only very fractionally better than inflation. Um, and that's driven by the fact that the return on equity is relatively low. It, it really is, as Rudy says, a, a, a sort of an index fund with a large number of companies, most of which haven't been the exciting businesses in the new economy. So uh, uh, as Rudy says, share price hasn't moved much. It's gone up about 20% in 10 years which again is hardly keeping up with inflation. Mm. So, uh, it, Warren Buffett always uses the term diversification rather than diversification. And I think if you're going to have a portfolio of 80 stocks or more uh, in a market the size of the Australian market where there are not that many profitable companies, uh, two thirds of the companies on our stock market don't make a profit, um, the chances are by being that diversified, you're actually diversified uh, rather than diversified. And um, for somebody who, you know, doesn't want to run their own portfolio, it's very safe putting their money with AFIC. As Rudy says, their fees are low. Um, they'll, they certainly won't do anything really stupid with your money, but you're certainly not going to get great returns. And if you've got the time to look after your money yourself, you can do far better for yourself. Sure. Okay, Howard, um, our last stop from uh, suggested by Scott, is Telstra, the uh, the big telco, IT technology company. It sort of changes a fair bit. Of actually, yes, yeah, sort of to be, slow, slow burn big. capital killer. Um, <laughs> right. You know, it's it's not a capital killer where it's going to go broke, but it's a capital killer where for more than twenty years it hasn't quite your returns haven't quite kept up with inflation, and. Um, you know, uh, everybody kept saying, oh, yes, but you get a wonderful dividend yield, and then they cut <laughs> the dividend, um, yeah. which is always the case when the earnings aren't growing. So, uh, you know, not a company I'd be enthused about. Again, yeah. as I say, look, I say look at that five-year chart. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, it's, it's not the kind of capital killer that'll go broke on you, but, gee, you can do so much better things with your money if you only want 20 to 25 stocks, then put it in Telstra. Yeah, ready? Can't get worse. If, I, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, ninety-eight, the first tranche, nine dollars, nine dollars yes. and a half, something like that. Yep. So it gets worse if you go back all the way to. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it, I mean uh, my favorite anecdote is if you if you would have bought CSL shares at the time of the Telstra listing at the stock exchange, then by now you would have received more dividends from CSL than from Telstra. Wow. Um, yep. That should make people think. Yeah. Yep. So because the one is always revered for its dividends. Yep. The other one is never bought for its dividends. Yep. But that's what growth does to your investments. So yep. um, I'm, with, I'm with Howard. Um, arguably, the shares look cheap here. Um, but also, if I look at analyst forecasts, there is no growth forecast. And ultimately, 
whether you like it or not, but the share market is about growth. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and you see it in the share price, the lack of growth but at some but point. But the story has always been, we're a more mobile community, we're going to be using more devices, yes. more yes. data, more... Yes, and we do, we do, but it doesn't translate into, into more profits for Telstra. Right. Right. That's that's how the industry works. Eh? The yes. data keeps getting cheaper. You get more exactly. data so for less money. Right? Yeah. right. Okay. So it's products. The margins are getting lower, and even though technology means they're getting more efficient, yes, it's still not enough. No. Okay. All right. That brings us to the uh, the end of our ten stocks. Uh, really appreciate uh, Howard Coleman from Team Invest and your time this afternoon. Thank you, Howard. Good to catch up. Pleasure. Hope to see you in the studio soon. Yep. See you, Excellent. Howard. Yeah, look forward to that. And Rudy Philippek van Dyke uh, from FN Arena. Rudy, always great to have you in here. In the studio. Yep. Too right. I've been coming in all the all the time through. So we had uh, our two experts both in the studio yesterday. So we're starting to come out of lockdown, which is terrific. So thank you, Jens, for that. And hopefully you enjoyed the call today. Just a recap on our final uh, five stocks. Monodelphus, best in the category in terms of that mining services area, but um, that whole sector is out of cycle at the moment. So uh, no need to, to rush into that. A no for Superloop, a no for Black Moors from both, no from uh, Australian Foundation Investment, um, which I love the word diversify. Diversification. Diversification, yeah. rather than diversification there. And uh, Telstra, as Howard said, a, a slow burn capital killer over the years. And why would you get into it? Now, if you want to uh, suggest any stocks for our, our team of experts to have a look at on the call, um, love your suggestions, send them through, email the call at osbiz.com.au or on Twitter, use the uh, TV hashtag. Thank you.